our mission is about making behavior change because we really purposefully put things that you recognize from your daily life and have you think about, okay, wow, look at all the toothbrushes in this little tropical coral reef. Those have all washed up on the beach. And what am I doing to make sure I'm not adding plastic toothbrushes to the waste stream myself? Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. Washed Ashore Art to Save the Sea is a nonprofit organization committed to combating plastic pollution through art and education. Their mission is to build and exhibit aesthetically powerful art to help educate a global audience about these issues around plastic pollution in the ocean and also our waterways and to help spark that positive change in consumer habits that would really make a difference. Washed Ashore has exhibited many of its 85 giant sculptures at many noteworthy venues, including the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., the Kelly Clarkson Show, Disney, and many zoos, aquariums, and botanical gardens across the United States. Norwex first partnered with Washed Ashore in 2015 to create Nora, the leaping salmon that debuted at the Norwex Leadership Conference in 2016. We're joined today by Washed Ashore's Conservation Education Director, Brad Parks, to hear more about Washed Ashore and their ongoing effort to spread awareness of plastic pollution. All right, everyone. So glad you joined us today. We are um, very excited and honored to have with us Brad Parks, who is the Conservation Education Director at Washed Ashore. And as you know, we have been partnering with Washed Ashore over, gosh, the last, certainly, I want to say five, six years. It may even be uh, seven years. I'm doing my math in my head. That's always dangerous. But um, really started partnering with them a number of years ago as plastic pollution became more and more of a concern for Norwex and um, just by in some ways pure luck and it was so fortuitous um, we found washed ashore we loved their mission we loved the way that they were bringing awareness and education um, to the public and uh, had a great opportunity to spend a lot of time with Angela uh, who was the founder of washed ashore and she's trained many people at washed ashore including the artist um, who is currently working on our seahorse to be revealed at national conference. And also I know has had an opportunity to work closely with Brad. Um, So welcome, Brad. So glad you took time today to chat with us. Oh, I'm very happy to be here and excited to uh, talk about the seahorse and washed ashore and our connection and collaboration with, with Norwex and all of your folks who are all around the world. Absolutely. And great point. We do have many people around the world who are listening um, to this. And I know they have as big a passion as we do for Washed Ashore, the art that the sculpture art that is created and the message that it that it takes out. Could you give us a little bit of a history of Washed Ashore? And, uh, you know, I love this story, just just how it came to be. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, it starts with the woman you mentioned, Angela, our founder. She grew up in a family of artists herself, and that passion for art was fostered early on, and she ended up becoming an art teacher. And throughout her period of teaching and being an artist herself, she ended up uh, losing her spouse and was um, on the beach finding solace and realizing that the beach was really in need of healing as well. And so those are her words, not mine, but her story of really what inspired her to start looking around as an artist who always used found objects or plastic that was washing up and in the form of marine debris really became her new art uh, medium. And so she began creating sculptures as the world was beginning to start realizing that this amazing product of plastic that does so much for us and uh, makes things much more convenient and lightweight and costs are low on things that can be packaged in it um, was really becoming a big problem for wildlife, especially creatures that were living in the sea. And so one of the first sculptures that sadly now is no longer uh, in service, but was an albatross that she created, a large seabird that was inspired by the stories of, of these birds ingesting plastic as they soar all over the ocean and uh, would naturally be picking up fish to take back to their young. And in this case, sadly, researchers were finding that they were mistaking plastic floating on the surface for fish feeding it to their young who then were not gaining any nutrition and unfortunately dying. So <clears throat> Angela's personal story and, and experience then combined with this growing problem of plastic pollution and the harm to wildlife and washed ashore was created. And so now 12 years later, we are still on the Southern coast of Oregon where Angela uh, founded Washed Ashore and have grown and now have a couple of locations, but it's a spot where we have a gallery now where you can see some of our sculptures, as well as a workshop where volunteers can come in and help us create sculptures. There's uh, three locations where you can drop off marine debris if you're cleaning up the beach or in another town north of there. We even have a studio a workshop where people can come in and see the sculptures being created. So uh, in our 12 years, we've really grown and uh, we are so honored to have, you know, the global attention that actually we have now. You know, I love what you said about um, her, uh, you know, searching for healing and ultimately finding a beach, uh, you know, that needed healing too. That that really resonates for sure. Um, you know, you also, Brad, have a bit of a unique story about how you came to know Washed Ashore. You got involved with them. So, um, what? How, how did that? How did that come about? Well, <clears throat> I always knew I was going to be a zoo guy. And so from my earliest age, zoos were my thing. And uh, yeah, I grew up landlocked in Michigan. So I'm gonna take you on a little story of how a zoo kid or a kid from Michigan not only got to connect with the ocean, but eventually uh, at a zoo connect with washed ashore. So if my family took a long driving road trip from Michigan across the country down the coast. And in fact, my first experience with the ocean is on the southern coast of Oregon, the very same place now where I'm working 
with washed ashore. And so that had a profound impact on me. And now it's really rewarding for me to be able to have an impact in my role as conservation education director on helping us uh, use our sculptures and use our work and our message to really help impact and bring a positive change to the ocean. But my path crossed uh, with Angela's and the Washed Ashore crew uh, when I was working at Denver Zoo. So I was there for about 20 years as the uh, director of guest experience. So it was a rich experience, uh, rich time and a rich uh, position where I was able to bring traveling exhibits in to enhance the experience uh, for the zoo guest. So Denver Zoo being landlocked, actually, it was quite interesting. We were the first inland zoo to host Washed Ashore. They had been going to aquariums and zoos that were on the coast, as you would expect. So what Washed Ashore was really hoping to do by coming to places like Denver Zoo was connect people who were inland who through waterways and rivers were then connected to the ocean because pollution inland is actually traveling to the ocean, whether we, we recognize it or not, that's really a huge source. So my first interaction with uh, Norwex even and, and washed ashore was at Denver Zoo here in the dry uh, mountainous area, the plains here in Colorado. That's right. I remember that because Nora was at the the Denver Zoo, right? The the first sculpture yes. that we put together with Angela. Yeah. The first sculpture that Norwex and Washed Ashore worked on the the salmon was Nora uh, debuted after meeting all of you at the national uh, conference. Ben came to Denver and was really helping us tell the story then of the connection of rivers and the ocean. Yeah, because a, a picture or a sculpture really is worth uh, a thousand words. I think I, I, I still watch people as they see the sculptures, even, you know, whether it's online or actually in person, like they will um, for the National Conference in Dallas. And and it's amazing how it they get it. You know, it, it doesn't take long to see that and get it. So I think that's it's an amazing way to communicate that. Now, you, you know, Washed Ashore has really had, I think, um, an important impact on educating people about plastic pollution. Are there other ways that Washed Ashore is working, or maybe there are some, uh, you know, interesting ways that Washed Ashore is helping to reach more people to tell this story? Anything in the works that you guys are planning? Well, first and foremost, one of the things that's been happening that as I just mentioned, personally, I was involved with at Denver Zoo is really our traveling exhibits. So <clears throat> the most of the sculptures we've created over the years have been, like Nora is now, part of a suite of sculptures that actually go from place to place throughout the United States and even into Canada to zoos, aquariums, botanic gardens, even shopping malls. Uh, we were in Vancouver, British Columbia in uh, a shopping mall earlier this year. And there are really ways for us to reach a large number of people with this message. So the traveling exhibits are one of our key ways, but we are really looking at technology and how can we tap into, especially as everyone's gone through the pandemic, using more technology to really connect to people all over the world. So one of the things we were really excited to do on June 8th 
and it's online on our website if you're curious or our social media if you'd like to check it out, is we partnered with Fabian Cousteau. So as a young kid in Michigan, yes, his grandfather, Jacques Cousteau, Cousteau, was a famous oceanographer who, along with Wild Kingdom and Marlon Perkins, those two programs back to back on Sunday nights were something that really sparked my passion and excitement and taught me so much about uh, the natural world. And so being able to partner with someone like Fabienne, who takes the legacy of his grandfather and is looking at his own way of using his uh, name and status to help then continue the work to protect the ocean. And so partnering with Fabienne on World Ocean Day was really an important way for uh, Washed Ashore to continue to bring this message to a larger audience. So we're exploring really how we can continue to upgrade our our social media, our web uh, presence. And then we are also looking at um, other ways to really connect with people all around the country and even other parts of the world. We're getting requests every week to go to amazing places uh, to really help people because this problem of ocean plastic is really a global issue. So we're we're looking at all the ways and exploring options of how to really use our uh, ability and these amazing sculptures to leverage as much uh, as we can to help sort of resolve this problem, not just even draw attention to it. So do you guys have an estimate of maybe how many people have now seen the sculptures and, you know, through that um, been made aware and educated about this issue? Well, Amy, we have uh, a long history and been in many locations. So it's millions and millions of people have been seeing our sculptures. But I do know we were able to find some some data around Nora specifically and have estimated that over 4 million people have seen her. And again, that was... Uh, not since she's been on the road this year. And so she was both in uh, Vancouver at a mall where it was free. So in these malls in this community, it was amazing. The volume of people who were able to connect with that sculpture was impressive. So I need to think about that and (laughs) add that eventually to that total for you, as well as now she is at Botanica in Wichita in a beautiful setting. And so I'm sure we're adding hundreds of thousands to that number as well. And it's really, you know, we're really honored to be going and we have a a full calendar coming up in other places. You know, right now um, we are in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan at the John Ball Zoo and in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Tennessee Aquarium and in Wichita, Kansas at Botanica Garden. So we really, as I've mentioned this year, it's we are in all three sort of big venues that are typical hosts. And earlier this year, we were in Canada at the at the shopping mall. So we really are wanting to, uh, again, really leverage these public spaces all around the country to help people see that even if you're inland, like uh, Michigan, Kansas, or Tennessee, you do have a connection to the ocean through the waterways in your local area. You know, I I can imagine that when people see these sculptures, certainly from what we heard from our consultants, there are lots of different types of reactions. Is is there like a certain reaction that really stands out from the ones that you've seen when people see these these sculptures? Yeah, you know, I I describe it as a spectrum of responses. And 
the one that I relate to the most is delight. So, you know, they're delightful, they're uh, whimsical, they're uh, larger than life and the, these sea creatures. And there are some, there's great images on our website. If you look, we do have a gallery of images there. If your consultants would like to check these creatures for me, first and foremost, delight because they're amazing sculptures. You can see um, in uh, 3D, you can move all around them in, in most of our venues. You uh, then can really appreciate these large colorful creatures. So that's that's the type of response or emotion or reaction that I really resonate with and react to. But we do have a spectrum, as I mentioned, and there's a lot of folks from time to time who will say, you know what, this is really horrible. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm horrified. And it is upon uh, really looking and contemplating and reflecting on what this is made from and where it's come from that really some people have a real visceral uh, response. And so it is important for us to really not just create amazing art, but our mission is about making behavior change, that we really can help people look at the items on the sculptures, because we really purposefully put things that you recognize from your daily life and have you think about, okay, wow, look at all the toothbrushes in this little tropical coral reef. Those have all washed up on the beach in Oregon and been collected by volunteers that have come in from somewhere around the world. And what am I doing to make sure I'm not adding plastic toothbrushes to the waste stream myself? And so those responses, whether it's delight or uh, really being upset, and we all hope, we hope that all the reactions really prompt people to reflect on how we can reduce plastic in our own life and not contribute to the, the pollution problem that's out there. Right. I think I think actually they're very successful in doing that for sure. How many, um, I mean, how much garbage do you think has been used or I guess reused in the sculpture <laughs> that Washed Ashore has put together? Any ideas? Someone on our team, thankfully, did a, has done a collect, done on estimate and they've estimated that uh, 35 tons of garbage has been collected uh, since our history and mm -hmm. so those are that's just primarily from Oregon's beaches so uh, 35 tons from just the Oregon beaches and we've created around 86 sculptures in our in our history mm -hmm. that's impressive that's impressive you've got quite the the library of sculptures there it's it's really a beautiful uh, group and there's you come to get to know them and uh, certain ones become your favorites and i love seeing them personally as they go from venue to venue to sort of see uh, how they might be displayed differently or the type of environment that they're in and right. it's always exciting to sort of like have this relationship with the sculptures uh, they, they are so charismatic so just coming off of the pandemic, and I remember reading a lot about the amount of, you know, waste that was being created by the disposable gloves and the disposable masks in particular. And now I'm thinking about all the COVID tests that everybody's taking right now that we can we can access them. How do you have an idea or any thoughts on how COVID ultimately affected plastic pollution? Yes. You know, when I was first 
starting to look into these numbers and the impact as I was coming into this role, my I too thought masks and gloves were a yeah. real uh, thing that I've seen. I you know I actually um, during the shutdown was horrified at how many plastic gloves and masks I was seeing littering my own neighborhood yeah. and started picking them up um, carefully and disposing of them, but also photographing them. And so that's sort of what comes to mind first is this litter that sadly um, folks would dispose of just in the neighborhood. But also then, um, as I've done more research, I realized packaging. So as we're all at home shopping to, to bring things in, there was a lot more packaging that was created. And a lot of that is plastic. <clears throat> the other thing that many of us did to support our local businesses that were shut down or operating differently was then order takeout. And so that was really tough because um, so many of the, the restaurants and, and locations were then using plastics. So there was another increase, another product uh, there that was causing more pollution. But what really, you, you hit the nail with the, the tests but really it was medical equipment. So testing and medical equipment. So the very, you know, the very thing that plastic allows you to do, it can be sterilized and be great for medical equipment. You know, people needed tubing and, and tests and medication. And so plastic is an amazing product there, but unfortunately uh, there's about, 8 million tons of it is estimated to have ended up in the ocean around the world. And so um, that was even in just a period of March, 2020, when the, the biggest shutdowns all occurred and the pandemic really surged through August, 2021. So um, unfortunately, just like mismanaged waste in other parts of our life or other periods of time, the pandemic probably only was more difficult with people not able to work normally or be together in groups. So the way we handled our waste in, in parts of the world definitely contributed to more of it ending up in the ocean. In fact, if, yeah. if your listeners are curious there, they can, they can uh, search for the 2021 photo of the year. And if they do seahorse mask, there's a really graphic image of a young seahorse with its tail grasping uh, around a disposed mask that's ended up in the ocean. So typically that would be seagrass or coral or a sponge or something. And sadly, that really stuck out to me as an image that uh, showed the impact of COVID and the pandemic on pollution and on wildlife. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it was. It, it's definitely a huge impact that I'm sure I'm not sure it's recoverable. We can we can help reduce it, but it's it's certainly been a significant impact. You know, our consultants absolutely loved seeing Nora, uh, the leaping salmon sculpture, and I know that they can't wait for the new seahorse that will be unveiled at national conference. But what? How do you guys come up with these ideas? Like, for what's the inspiration for the animals? And then what's the, you know, how does the the uh, the artist take on, you know, a design? Like let's, you know, in particular with the with the seahorse even. Um, and what, I guess, what was the motivation to select a seahorse to begin with? Yeah, well, I think um, I, mean, I should probably ask Angela more about the specifics. <laughs> but I know she created Stella 
early on in Washington Shores history. And Stella's right now at the Tennessee Aquarium. Um, Stella's aging and yet is iconic. Seahorses, uh, we, we typically, you can recognize them. There's something even little children recognize and learn when we're thinking about ocean creatures and types of fish. But really there's 40 different kinds of seahorses known around the world. And so, um, one of the things that Washtashore is doing in our design process is thinking about how can we increase our impact in our connection to creatures in the wild by creating ones that are specific species. And so instead of a generic seahorse like Stella, no offense, Stella, you're gorgeous, but uh, <laughs> the inspiration for this one, I believe, um, in part was due to this desire to create something um, and evolve the design process and create a seahorse that could be smaller and a little more easily uh, moved from place to place. Stella is ginormous. And so the, the seahorse that we've created for uh, Norwex and with all of your help is a beautiful, I believe it's about seven feet tall, which mm -hmm. most, most pot-bellied seahorses, the type of seahorse this is, is they're about seven inches to 14. So I, we took mm -hmm. a seven inch seahorse in real life and have super um, made a super sized seven foot tall one. Wow. So our artist, uh, our lead artist then takes a design or a sketch. We have a two-dimensional artist who's a graphic artist who actually comes up based on the conversations and the research that has been done online with real photos and videos to then come up with a representation that can be used to, in this case, share with all of you who are interested in, in seeing um, uh, what it might look like to give you an idea that drawing works for that or potentially a funder. But it's also just fun to have this beautiful image to kind of inspire us as the creation goes on as you're literally digging through garbage. So the seahorse then we're really excited uh, as a pot-bellied seahorse. It's very uh, charismatic. It has a very large belly. This one is a male. In fact, the males have a larger belly, but part of it is even because in seahorses in general, in pot-bellied seahorses in particular, the male's belly uh, develops a brood patch where the female will deposit the eggs. And he actually, after fertilizing them, carries them for about a month. And so the male is pregnant and um, actually then uh, the 300 to 700 baby seahorses emerge and are on their own. They're tiny little representations of the adult. But this story and the story of seahorses and the connection to the pandemic with the mask and the pollution, uh, all of it for me means that this charismatic species will inspire more people to really look at, um, especially cleaning products in partnership with all of you, but all of the things in our home that we use and bring in that are plastic that, you know, are meant to often be used quickly and be done with, and really how we can stop that uh, cycle and really look at things differently and shop um, very strategically and intentionally and mm -hmm. make sure that we're not contributing to that plastic pollution. Yeah, and as you were talking, it occurred to me that the the seahorse is maybe one of the marine animals, creatures that, you know, even from the photographs that you're referencing, is definitely impacted by our plastic pollution. You know, the, the activities that we do on shore are, in fact, 
impacting that seahorse? Because I know there's been a number of photos of that holding a Q-tip, yes. mask. Um, so I'm, and I'm sure there are others where, uh, because of where they're at and um, where they live, in the I guess they they move around in the coral areas mm -hmm. too. That there tends to be pollution there. It gets caught up in there too. Yeah, they're closer to the the coastal areas, and so the areas where humans are. Right. And so seahorses, unfortunately, that's one of the impacts on them is the pollution, habitat loss, uh, because reefs and things can get de de uh, developed or other types of pollution from the land are, are issues. They're even collected. So they're used in crafts and curios and um, some areas they're medicines. So really there's a lot of pressures on seahorses. So we really are wanting, uh, again, to deepen our impact and have folks really think about all the ways we, not only plastic pollution, but are there ways that you can uh, shop for seafood that are different that also will help protect ocean creatures like like many of our awesome sculptures out there. Now, what what are the future plans for Wash to Shore? Are there anything that you might be able to share at least with um, yeah. our listeners? Well, I will share that we're really looking at how to address this literally global request for Wash to Shore to be helping bring art to save the sea to many places around the globe. So we're actually looking at uh, partnering with um, a U.S. I'll just be vague, a U.S. Um, park board who is responsible for beach cleanup and tourism. It gets millions of visitors a year of really looking at how could we pilot an artist in residence program. So bringing, uh, we will be bringing a traveling exhibit to the community and along with that, helping inspire a new type of Mm -hmm. artist that might want to join Washed Ashore and create a community art piece for their own community based on the plastic they're collecting off their beaches. And look at how that could be a model then for us to take this idea, fine tune it, but actually be able to go to other places around the world and bring artists to us and train with us to then go back to their own communities and do beach cleanups and inspire people in their own uh, in their yeah. own art aesthetic as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, to bring their own cultural traditions into it and create pieces and art that can save the seas all around the world. I love that. That's absolutely beautiful. And speaking of that, you know, as 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 our listeners are are hearing more about washed ashore, I know many of them will be inspired to want to take action. Right, that's the whole 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 reason reason why we're here. But what if you could give them a, any tips about what they could do to to help? What what could we share with them? Well, yes, as chief mission officer yourself and a mission-based organization uh, like Washed Ashore, it really is to inspire action and change that consumer behavior. So specifically, some really easy things that are fun to do as well is follow us on social media. So whether it's Instagram or uh, Facebook, we are really putting out uh, Animal Advocates of the Month, for example. We just featured Rose of the Bald Eagle since here in the United States, we celebrated the 4th of July and the eagle is our national symbol. So Rosa was featured and we've uh, shared a little bit more about bald eagles, for example. The 
uh, website then really has a lot of rich resources and you can dig into um, some of our history if that's something you're interested in. Depending on where you are, um, most of your listeners would be able to even buy our book. We have a new children's book out, uh, Washed Ashore Art to Save the Sea, and in there, uh, Nora is even one of the featured sculptures. So... <laughs> Yes, her her fame lives on. The other thing is if you are in uh, near Grand Rapids, Michigan or Chattanooga, Tennessee or um, Wichita, Kansas or Washington, D.C., we do have a permanent uh, sculpture in the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural History. It's a big, big, <laughs> big name and a big honor. Yes. But visiting uh, any of the traveling exhibits is another way to take action and really help. And then obviously, uh, if you're local or could, we'd be happy to host you at a workshop. But all of those ways, including even supporting as a donor, those are all ways that no matter where you are, some of those would fit. And then Personally, I really would love for everyone to sort of challenge yourself uh, around what maybe I'm assuming most of your folks already uh, being consultants for Norwex are, you know, probably are not using single use plastic water bottles, for example. So what are some ways you can go even beyond what you're doing now? And for me, I'll share one that I'm working on. Um, I use toothbrushes as an example earlier. Well, toothpaste comes in those plastic tubes, and most of those are not recyclable. Most of those end up as trash. And I brush my teeth a lot, so I go through a lot of them, and I feel really bad. And so I did some research, and I've discovered that there are other products. And so that's the type of challenge I would ask everyone to consider is what's something maybe that's a little bit harder and a little bit not as not low hanging fruit as we sometimes say, and really step up and see if there's a challenge you can give yourself to really reduce more of that plastic that's coming into your life. I think that's a great idea and, and something we can definitely take away too, even if it's once a month coming up with, <clears throat> you know, to your point, not as low-hanging fruit such as yeah. you know you refillable bottle but maybe those a little bit a little bit harder but uh come up with some ideas i really like that i really like that a lot that's great brad thank you so much for joining us today you're so knowledgeable so articulate just a pleasure to to speak with can't wait to have you live at our national conference in dallas and uh i know um our uh, our listeners will really enjoy getting a chance maybe to speak with you also um in person while we're there so thank you again for coming um uh, coming on and chatting with us a little bit today. Oh, you're so welcome, Amy. I just, I got chills because I just realized that will be the first time we get to meet in person, but okay. it's also going to be the debut and the unveiling of this sculpture in front of everyone who's, who's present. So I'm really excited. And again, thank you for this opportunity to help us tell Wash to Shore story and connect more with all of your consultants. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family and don't forget to follow and subscribe.